0: I'm still, I'm putting myself in the line of fire. I'm trying to ask these questions, but I still feel judged. And if I do have questions for people that identify in different genders, all of a sudden, it
1: almost feels like it's shut off. It's like, Mm. you should just get it. I I feel that. And I I think the judgment that you're getting is from folks who are like, people are literally dying. Trans women are dying on a daily basis due to this ignorance. So that frustration is not like, oh, you don't know anything, that's so stupid. It's more like your ignorance is killing people. Like your ignorance is perpetuating this violence against folks like me, folks who look like me, Um, And that is, that's dangerous. That's really dangerous. But why
0: does it become ignorance for me to not understand?
1: So what does it mean to be
2: non-binary? And furthermore, what does disrupting our man or woman culture mean for people who can't wrap their heads around why we need more than two genders? It's a long episode because clearly there's a lot to be unearthed. And we're digging in right after this.
3: Lovers and friends. friends. I'm gonna take you on a trip, baby. I don't pretend. I say, lovers and friends. Uh. I'm
2: gonna hold you down down to the end. I say, hi. Welcome to Lovers and Friends, a podcast about sex, love, relationships, and sexuality. This episode is around gender nonconformity, and as I mentioned, it's a little longer for mainly a couple of reasons. One, my intro here is longer since I wanted time to explain. The stories, epiphanies, and struggles that I've personally had with this topic. I think that's extremely pertinent given our third segment, which is brand new for us. So usually how this podcast goes, if you're brand new, is that we have a starring guest share their personal experience, and then that person leaves. And then I bring in friends of my own where we discuss the topic at large and reflections that we've had in light of that person's experiences. This episode Evian Whitney, who is the starring guest, actually stuck around for the third segment and brought along a friend, Jordy, who also identifies as non-binary in order to have a spirited discussion with another friend of mine, Sorella Moore, who confided in me that she has questions and concerns with gender fluidity that she wanted to work through in a safe and informed space. What is
0: the vision for the future though? Can I just ask what 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 would you... What is the ultimate vision?
1: I want people to identify however the fuck they want to identify.
2: Which is why I want to do this introduction a little bit differently. Usually in the intro, it's an opportunity for me to ground the episode in research and information to give you something to chew on as you listen to the rest of the dialogue. But the real truth is the meat and potatoes, the expertise comes from the guests involved both Evian and Jordy, who are in the third segment identify as non-binary. And instead I would like to provide a bridge or maybe some middle ground because I am not somebody who jumped on board and was all arms wide open when it came to the conversation of gender fluidity and gender non-conformity. And I had an interesting aha on in this episode based on this moment. Do you love your gender label? Do you love where gender sits and feels with you right now? Nope. Still exploring it.
3: Yeah, I would say no. <laughs> um.
1: I, I laughed because I was like, oh, wow, it's going to be a unanimous no. I also feel that. I also feel that no. What about you, Shan? To back
2: things up. Hi, I'm Shan Bougeram. I'm a public facing sex and relationship educator who's been working in the media and in the public eye for the past 15, 17 years, arguably 18 years, and as a result, when a lot of people think of sex educators, my name might come to mind, but I have also noticed that as an older sex educator, as Things change in the realm of sexuality and new categories and subcategories are created. There are some which I've obviously been at the forefront of, a la the conversation around consensual non-monogamy. And then there's other areas that I have not really been a major contributor to. And in many cases, maybe I've been a dinosaur in. And I believe that uh, gender fluidity is a part of that, wherein... Maybe I don't go out of my way to be harmful or to be an adversary like some of my other fellow sex educators have. But instead, I don't know if I have fully adopted it in the same way that one, I noticed many younger sex educators do, and two, people who are just part of the queer community do in general. And I think a major reason for that is based on my personal privilege. Sex and gender are very harmonious spaces in my life. The labels that people subscribe to me or assume that I have based on how I visually look or how I sound are pretty accurate to how I feel. And I realize that I cherish that so much because that doesn't exist in a lot of other spaces in my life. When it comes to race, when it comes to my job, when it comes to my right to be in certain spaces, I feel like I have to constantly justify myself. I feel like there's so many assumptions people make about me based on visual representation that don't actually align with what's going on on the inside. And so this is one area where I don't have to go into a huge backstory and I don't have to combat people's existing belief system because usually when they hear the word woman and they see me, everything just makes sense. So it also makes sense as to why this hasn't been a priority area for me because the binary has worked for me. And that is important to note as well too, that This is not about saying that we should break apart the binary, but instead we should be critical of it and we should examine the assumptions and nuances that we make that might be beneficial to some but extremely harmful to others. And when you are aware that you are deeply harming others by not taking those extra seconds, well, that's where I think it's no longer easy to turn a blind eye. And that's the place where I've gotten to now. And so there's three major ahas that I want to share as somebody who was initially resistant to the idea of breaking apart the binary that have really helped me to understand why it is important to make adaptations to our assumptions around gender in order to create a space where this is not damaging to a sizable amount of people. And furthermore, a lot of individuals that I personally care about. Story number one. It's really not as simple as you're born a man or a woman. So again, like I said, I've been working in this space as a public facing sex and relationship educator for like 18 years now. And I actually just completed my bachelor's degree last year. I started it in 2005, I completed it last year. And I had to take a elective course and so I chose human sexuality because I'm like, duh, easy A for myself. But that course was so illuminating for me in many different ways, but specifically dealing with queerness. And the topic in particular that I found the most value out of was around sex and gender. What I would like you to do right now is visualize a Venn diagram. If you're not familiar, Google that shit right now because I don't have time to explain it to you. I do have time, but it's kind of weird. It's a picture. I'll explain it to you, fine. It's two circles and they're joined together, but within Venn diagrams, there's variations. Some circles can be so overlapping that they appear to be one circle. Some circles can be so distant that they look like binoculars side by side. Nonetheless, they are interconnected to each other, but still they are separate circles. So if you think of sex and gender like that, And for some people, Probably like myself, my Venn diagram would look more like one circle. And for other peoples, especially those who are gender anarchists, their Venn diagram is gonna look like the binoculars, the two separate circles. So, what really helped me to understand that is the eight different ways of expressing sex and gender. And again, this is a list that I got from my human sexuality course. So there's chromosomal differences, gonadal, and gonad speaks to if you have ovaries or testicles. There's pre- Prenatal hormonal, then there's pre plus neonatal brain differentiation, there's internal sex organs, there's external genitalia appearance, there's pubertal hormonal differences, there's assigned gender at birth, and then there's individual gender identity. Now, if you really thought about this through this lens, these various eight characteristics that would make up to make somebody either man or woman. For most people who feel, again, that Venn diagram in a heavy overlap, all eight neatly check the boxes for you. But when we think about eight different categories, and probably somebody who's much smarter could break it down into 8,000 different categories, we can see how difficult it can be for people to feel completely man or completely woman if they have some variation of what I just listed. All right, the second major aha that I had is the inconvenience caused by having to not assume someone's gender is nowhere near as severe as the pain you cause for misgendering someone. I was on a set 2017 or so, and someone that I knew as being a woman had recently transitioned to being a man, and I was friends with this person, and we were working together side by side, and as soon as I saw them, I was like, girl, where you been? You late, you couldn't find parking, and then I was like, fuck, do not say that. And then 10 minutes later, I was like, girl, come over here. Let's take a picture together. And then I was like, fuck, do not say that. And then at lunchtime, I was like, oh, girl, the chicken is bomb. And I was like, oh, my God, you bitch. And I went home that day and I was mad at that person. I was mad because- I felt uncomfortable. I felt inconvenienced. And a choice that they made made it difficult for me to have easy conversation with them. And I didn't enjoy conversating with them because I was constantly afraid of offending them. And as a result, I made it about me. But who gives a fuck about me? And in those minor seconds where I make those assumptions because I'm not putting myself in the practice, and again, I'm illustrating the work that I haven't done yet, there's nothing wrong with being compassionate Uh, number one, and number two, being remorseful and just saying my bad. And that minor inconvenience to myself of saying my bad is nowhere close, as inconvenient as it is, as painful as it is for someone to be misgendered. And I actually had an incredible conversation on my show, Sexology, a couple of years ago with somebody who constantly gets misgendered, and they explained it like this.
3: I remember getting misgendered a lot when I first started transitioning. And like, the way my body responded is just like, crazy like you just want to die so like like,
2: what exactly does it feel like when you're misgendered
3: um it's almost like fight or flight you know like my me personally my whole body would just like tense up my whole face would go red it's hard to look that person in the eye and say like oh no actually could you call me she you know it's it's i'm almost getting that feeling now talking about it
1: for me i would say i really i agree with the fight or flight it's like an
2: almost like feeling in my arms and my chest that i get that's just and uncomfortable um, I used to also not correct people and it would always make me like kind of shut down. It would be like fight or flight and then just acceptance and then sadness. And the third aha that I have had around the topic of being non-binary, of being a gender nonconformist, really came from this episode, specifically from the third segment of this episode when I think a,
0: it b- makes it a lot harder for you to be in society. So you're adding a lot of an extra burden for yourself, whereas you can push the boundaries with an agenda and still you don't get that extra uh, pushback from society that makes it harder for you to exist in society. I,
1: I understand that thought process, but I also want to challenge that a little bit and think about like, what kind of world could we live in where having a trans kid is a world where we are able to protect them.
2: What Evian was saying was incredibly correct in that we should not fear placing our children or our loved ones in positions to be harmed. Instead, we should examine the culture that does the harming and want to make changes within it. But what I also heard from that bit was, who's to say being straight and cisgendered is all that fucking incredible either? I know a lot of y'all individual who are as straight as an arrow and as cis as period sis, who are still fucking miserable. You still can't figure it out. You still feel disconnected and Unloved and unworthy and unhappy. So, why are we assuming that the experience of people who are heterosexual and straight is going to be superior or smoother sailing to those who are identifying a different need within themselves? At the end of the day, it's not really about how we define ourselves, it's how we find peace within ourselves and community that corroborate and support that peace that we have found within and they support it outwardly. That's where real happiness lies. And individuals who are choosing to break apart the binary or say fuck the binary are not individuals who are gluttons for pain. Yes, perhaps they are choosing a certain level of discomfort, but we're all risk averse, right? Majority of us don't want to put ourselves in positions for constant pain. So I also know many individuals who do accept the fact that gender nonconformity, yes, is going to come with some discomfort, are also acknowledging that it will come with so much joy from within, but also from acceptance of the community that they probably already identified who've encouraged them to get to a place where they can tell your straight cis ass what feels right for them. So let it be, and don't assume that you're protecting them by trying to talk them out of it or choose a different path for them. There's a bomb ass quote that I just read recently, and it says, You break free from a prototypical experience when you find out exactly what you want to get out of life. So instead of assuming that people who don't subscribe to the binary are just hell-bent on making life hard, both for you and for themselves, instead acknowledge that they are making a conscious decision for a non-prototypical and for them elevated way of existing and experiencing this life. And their priorities are different from your priorities. It doesn't mean that we all still don't want the exact same things at the end of the rainbow, which is acceptance, community, love, legacy, laughter, orgasms, and hell, even those are up for debate or discernment. Again, we're not debating this um, episode we're discovering that to be said let's discover with the actual expert oh i cannot wait to introduce i'm already you already know evian but i'm going to reintroduce evian to you evian whitney is a sexuality doula writer facilitator and sensualist who has an insatiable curiosity about sexuality Evian is also the author of the book, Sensual Self, which challenges you to ask who you would be if you were fully in your body. Who would you be if you prioritized your pleasure, your identities? Evian is non-binary and Evian is the starring guest in this segment and also in the next. Let's talk about they. They. It is the necklace that is on your chest right now. It is. It is. And this is something that I've been following online and reading through your, I want to say revelations about it, but you've been very honest about each step of you coming into this pronoun and what it's meant to you. Yeah. Um, So I'd just love to hear it from you.
1: Yeah. I mean, my gender journey has been ongoing. Uh, I started pretty much, you know, a few years ago, really reckoning with a lot of, who I thought I was and like what culture has told me that I'm supposed to be. And I don't know, I just, I I think because of the ways that other folks are showing up for themselves and getting really honest about their own genders and you know, smashing the patriarchy and decolonizing what gender looks like, it's helped me get more permission about the nuances of my own gender and the energies that I contain that is not solely woman and not solely man. Um, And even, you know, I'm wearing the necklace they more so as like a permission slip for me because I still am like very young in this process. And I still struggle a lot with um, feeling like I'm allowed to take up space within the non-binary identity that I am trans enough, you know, even if- like, non binary is on, is under the trans umbrella. And so, for me, one of the things that was really kind of fucking me up around this whole process is that we have a very limited and like linear view of who and what is trans. It's like, male to female, female to male, you transition medically, but that's not everybody's story. You know, not everybody um, deals with gender dysphoria. Not everyone feels like I'm in a body that I want to get out of. There are a lot of people who feel a sense of like, I like the body that I'm in, which is my experience. I love the body that I'm in. Um, I don't like the way that people presume who I am based on the body that I am. I think that's what, creates that disconnect. But like, I've never felt like I'm in the wrong body. I've never felt like uh, there's something wrong with me necessarily. Um, And I
2: look in the mirror, you see yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I I mean, I see, I see myself through the eyes of like, this is a body, you know, like, I don't see the fact that I have tits as that being a womanly trait. Even when I'm on my period, I actually feel the most masculine when I'm on my period. Because to me, periods are fucking rough, you know, like, at least mine are there, I'm like bleeding and it's painful. And I just feel like I'm in this dark cave. And it just, for me, there, there feels like I'm moving through a lot of masculine energy within that. And so part of my non, non-binary identity is me just allowing myself to have that space to feel into those nuances and those contradictions and to allow myself to not have like conclusive answers about what that means. Because I think with the woman label, it's like, this is what a woman is. With the man label, this is what a man is. With the non-binary label, it's like, I get to create myself as I see myself and that there are no limits. There's nothing There's nothing that I am not allowed to explore or experience, yeah.
2: I look at all labels, like labels are... Something that I utilize for other people's fast consumption understanding. Sure. Behind every right. label, though, for me is stories. It's years. It's experiences. Right. Like the label of marriage is just so that somebody else understands that this is a committed, long-term relationship. Where, hey, Geico, please bill us underneath the same last name. <laughs> right. But there, to me, is so much more going on and underneath that. Um. And I've, I've always wanted to create a, a world that is
1: the one that you have gotten to fine for yourself. Yeah. But I guess you did a lot of the education on your own. I feel like it's both and. I think that there are aspects of my upbringing that was very open-ended. Like, you know, I'm grateful that I was born in a time where I didn't have to wear dresses all the time, that my mom wasn't like freaked out if I, you know, came home with ashy knees and my head sticking up all over, the like my hair sticking up all over the place. Um, Like that was just normal. But when it came to the way that, I was supposed to behave in public. Um, obviously sexuality is a big one. Like I signed a purity contract when I was eight. And so that I, yeah. Religion or? Yeah. Yeah. We were Christian, um, sort of evangelical. And so when you signed that purity contract, (laughs) did you even know what sex was? No. I mean, I knew, I knew what they were talking about. Like I knew that there's a thing that adults do that you were not supposed to do until you get married. But I didn't understand what sex was. Like when I was signing that contract, I I distinctly remember being like, okay, this is something that is going to, you know, absolve me of my sins. And it's a covenant I'm making to God and my parents will co-sign it. And it just seems like the thing to do, you know? And so when I think about those memories of signing a purity contract, having my virginity feel as though it didn't belong to me. It belonged to my father. Mm-hmm. Um, those it, those were the ways in which like gender was forced down my throat. Yes. Like I wasn't allowed to have my own sexuality. I wasn't allowed to have ownership of my own body. Um, I have so many memories in my childhood where, and even in my young young adult life, where I didn't feel like I had autonomy or agency when it came to pleasure sexuality, the way that I wanted to express myself. Having to even sign that contract and do those things felt like a betrayal against what you naturally knew was right for you? Absolutely. I think it was really confusing as well because I was very much like you. Like I was very curious about my body. I was, I had a lot of experience with pleasure around my body, not necessarily even just in the sexual sense, but just like I was curious about my body. I was curious about what it made, what it could do in order to make me feel good. Um, and signing a purity contract to me just created this like disconnect of like, okay, so yes, this is my body, but it's also not my body. Like I'm not allowed to do what I want with it. And when I eventually broke the contract, because I mean, that that shit wasn't gonna stick Um, (laughs) I I ended up having sex for the first time when I was 15 and it's still like and I remember doing that from a place of like this is my body this is my choice this is what I want to do congratulations yeah I mean it was see this is where comprehensive sex education is so important because like I thought that sex was, that that it was, that was just it, you know, like you just have sex and that's it. But there was no conversation about consent or coercion or like what a healthy sexual relationship with your partner looks like. And so while on the one hand, I was like, fuck yeah, I'm like gonna, you know, be in my body and, and liberate myself and make choices that feel really good to me. On the other, I was making decisions that I was just not fully informed about. Like, mm-hmm. so I was getting into sexual relationships with people that didn't value me, that didn't care about me, that were actually pretty harmful. Yeah. It's so interesting that our stories are so similar. It I didn't is. know that. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. After all these years of like following you, I had no idea. I didn't <laughs> know that so you similar. signed a purity contract at seven, which I ate. I mean, yeah. like, that would be probably a story
2: you've told a billion times. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, not so many. It's so interesting when I tell the story, some people are like, what the fuck is a purity contract? Like it's the idea is so archaic. And I don't even know if they do purity contracts anymore, yeah. but- yeah, that was, that was a thing that happened, you know? And that's, I don't think that people realize that that shapes you for the rest of your life, you know? And these are, these are still things that I am learning to undo. Even as I'm in a relationship with someone who loves me, values me, we've been together for a long time. There's still that essence of um, these stories that I've been told about my sexuality and these stories I've been told about like, what a good wife is supposed to do. And so like coming back to the non-binary identity or label, this idea of like creating my world on my own terms. And that like goes in every aspect of my life. It goes with the work that I do. It goes with the relationship that I have with my partner. It goes with the relationship that I have with my body and my ancestors, you know? So it's, it's like, for me, it's not just like non-binary isn't just like an identity that I'm putting on or trying on. It's like, it's ultimately the way that I want to live my life in every aspect. I feel like I'm able to occupy the world in ways that are bigger. Like I'm able to take up more space. Whereas before, I think the narrative that I had for so long was like, only certain people are allowed to do certain things. Or like, if you have feeling in your body that you that you are more masculine, or a really great example of this is like, when I'm having sex, sometimes it can feel like, I don't want to be the typical woman um, position or energy or whatever, rather than like embracing that energy. I've been taught to sort of be like, no, 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 that's not, that's not what ha- what's happening here. That's not your experience. Like that was just like a, a malfunction <laughs> that's going on. Like, just forget that, come back to center. Knowing now about this, or knowing this about myself now, I have an understanding that like, I am able to express myself to the full spectrum of who I am. So if those feelings come up, if those bodily sensations come up, it's not like, oh no, I can't, I can't do that. It's like, oh yeah, that's that's a part of my identity. So I feel like I'm able to take up more space and I feel like my relationships are better because I allow people to see me more deeply.
2: Is being, choosing your gender less about, so that I understand myself or you understand yourself and more so that other people understand the range of how you want to be communicated with, how you want to be existed with.
1: Yeah, it's it's about respect as well. Like I remember when I officially came out to my partner, Jonathan, as non-binary, for me, it wasn't so much about like, I am this label. It was more like, I want you, when you look at me, I don't want you to see me as just a woman. Like, I want you to see the full spectrum and every aspect of who I am that I've always been, but maybe you haven't allowed yourself to really see through that lens because of our conditioning, because of, you know, vagina equals woman, right? So... I remember we had this conversation where I wrote him this letter. I don't even know if I have it anymore, but I wrote him this letter and I was just telling him that like, I feel like I am non-binary and what I want more than anything is for you to see me as non-binary. It's not even so much as like, I want you to use these particular pronouns. For me, I want to be in relationships with folks who can see the nuances of who I am. This might be controversial, but I believe that all of us are a little queer and all of us are a little trans. Like I really believe that if we were to really sit down with ourselves and think about the labels that have been put upon us by our society, what those labels mean, how we're supposed to perform within those labels, and we piece them all apart, we would find a lot more blurred lines. There would be a lot more gray area within our definition of woman, our definition of man, that it's not so black or white, that it's on a spectrum. Um, and so, because of that, I think that my non binariness gives other people permission to also see themselves through through that lens as well like it, i i and I'm, I don't want to assume that I think for me, that's how my experience has been when I see someone who's nonbinary it's like, oh, that's possible. like I'm allowed to take up space in that way. I'm allowed to express my my energy in that way and for me this is this isn't just about. Uh, the clothes that I wear or the way that I do my hair. it's it's really about the way that I feel and wanting to be in environments and be around folks that are able to like hold that. It's a day-to-day experience. Some days I wake up and I'm like, what gender am I today? Right <laughs> you know, non non-binary people are not a monolith. And so what I say here is my experience. this is how I feel. this is how um how I, show up like this is not the same for every non-binary person. Um, For me personally, I understand that folks will see me and they will have a particular idea of who I am. Like folks will see me and they will know that I am a woman, right? Or they will assume that I'm a woman. Sometimes it happens so often, like this past week, it was happening so much that I was like, this is so annoying. Just like read my bio, go on my website. Y'all know that like I don't identify as a woman. Um, some There are some weeks, some days where that really bothers me. But for the most part, I'm like, I get it. You know, like I understand that we live in a world that is very focused on the binary, that's very focused on black or white. You're either single or you're married. You're either black or you're white. You're either woman or you're, you're a man. Like if I get put on a woman's list, I just like roll my eyes and I'm like, oh, it's whatever. You mm-hmm. know, like I just... There are so many other things that are occupying my time and so many things that are occupying my, the space in my mind that like I can't, if I were to focus every single time on when someone called me a woman or put me on a top 10 women that you want to, you know, be on a list or whatever, like if, if I were to focus on that, I would drive myself crazy. And mm-hmm. so as a way of self-preservation, I just choose not to. The community
2: that you exist in has done the work to understand what you mean when you say, I would rather be referred to as they. Right. That I identify as non-binary. Yeah. you have got some education knowledge and you've taken a long time to cultivate that community and you have worked really hard to create uh, both an audience and I'm sure friends and family and loved ones who embrace not just you, but embrace this reality.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, community is everything. You can't be what you can't see, you know? So... I am who I am today because of everyone else that has come before me that has paved the way and given me a permission slip to be who I am. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that is really, really helpful. It's so helpful to have folks in my life who mirror the same kind of beingness that I want to experience as well. Um, But there is an aspect of this that isn't just about other people's gazes. It's not just about other people's understandings. Like for me gender is such a personal and intimate experience. Like the way that I think about it is gender is what I feel inside. Like you can't see that. Um, And I think maybe that's why I'm having such a hard time explaining it because it is so personal and because it feels just so innate and very natural within me. And so I want to ask that folks if, you know, they know of someone who is in their family that is trans or they have a friend who says they're non-binary or wants to go by different pronouns just because of what you see doesn't mean that they are the opposite. Like, it's about how you feel inside and so, like, we need to be able to trust people and give people permission to be who they are and love them for who they are, even if what we see with our own eyes seems to contradict that.
2: Please, please, please don't sing, please, please, please. Check out Evian's book, which is called *Sensual Self*. It's a guided journal. It's an incredible body of work. I've talked about it before, and if you didn't listen to me last time, try again. If at first you don't succeed, um, we got a lot of grace. We got a lot of space around these parts, and that's what we're going to lean into as we go into this next segment, which. I hope sparks a lot of discussion has definitely sparked a ton of discussion in my world from those who are involved and those who have just been chatting about it afterwards. It was fascinating. Essentially, it was kind of the first segment on Lovers and Friends we've had like this, wherein I had someone who essentially had issues, talk to people who were in that experience. And it's very Jubilee of me, if you know that YouTube channel. And I was concerned with how it would go. And of course, I never want to cause harm to either party, um, especially to people like Evian and Jordy, who are the starring non-binary guests in the next segment. Um, I never want to cause harm through these dialogues, nor do I want to paint the person who I think is a representative of many people's concerns and of many people's discomforts around this conversation in a negative light. So finding that balance might be tricky. I definitely tried to lean into that in the way that we structured it. And I would love as a listener, if you also leaned into that and we can't get there without asking some uncomfortable questions and revealing some uncomfortable truths. So that's what we're about to do. You're going to hear from Evian Whitney, once again, a sexuality doula. You're also going to hear from Jordiana, who we refer to as Jordi throughout the segment, a gender expanding, multi-dimensional artist, facilitator and guide, weaving healing energy into all of their practices. Their performance artwork has been welcomed at the Getty Center. BAMP Center for Arts and Creativity, expanding from her 20 plus year background in theater and entertainment industries. Yes, I checked, Geordie goes by both she and they. And last but not least, you are going to hear from Sorelle Amore, an Aussie entrepreneur who focuses on obtaining ultimate levels of freedom in every area of life and is an advocate for alternative and free living, which I would like to discuss that bio more after you hear this segment. Sorel is actually the person who indirectly called this panel together and I will let her explain why herself. I'm, com- I'm still exploring the idea of it. I'm so
0: confused as to what's going on and, that I, and I finally realized why it is such a hard thing for me to fully understand and be completely open-minded to it because of what happened to me in my childhood around kind of these discussions and these topics. And so I'm just trying to understand. <laughs> and I think putting myself in the line of fire of like, I don't get it. And maybe I also want to say, I want to I be able to have a healthy debate about things and, you know, and admit when I don't really get it or if I don't really agree with something and and see where that takes us, not from like, I know better because I don't, because I have no idea, but I just want to know because I'm so intrigued by this new, I feel like it's a kind of new idea of gender exploration?
1: I mean, I'll, I guess I can start by saying that the concept of fluid gender is not new. Um, it might feel new because it's it's out in the the mainstream in a way that it hasn't ever been before, but like trans folks, gender non-conforming folks, gender anarchists have been around pretty much since the dawn of man. Yeah, <laughs>
3: definitely.
1: Um, so yeah, we out here, we always yeah. been out here. Yeah, I agree. I think it is because it's
0: hitting the mainstream now. And that's yeah. why there's a lot more confusion and debate and people are getting a bit more rallied up because if you don't know something, you wanna almost immediately defend your known beliefs. But I've, I'm like a rebel at heart. So I like to question everything anyway. So I'm intrigued to find out more. Um, but i just also i'm getting a lot of a lot of people expecting me to act a certain way and when i don't they judge me or they 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 come at me on social media like why aren't you being more inclusive and then i finally realized and what happened was yeah someone recently just said to me um, why aren't you being more inclusive you know there's more genders than just men and women and i have had this resistance and and i finally understood what was happening to me so when i was younger, much younger. I'm very tiny, like super skinny, can't put on weight no matter what I do. And I'm similar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But at some point I got the idea in my head that I was probably the wrong gender. There is something about me that feels as if it is maybe more masculine and feminine. So I do have a lot of masculine energy in me and I know that. And the feminine side has been really hard for me to explore. Mm. So it's only... I, I bought into this idea that I should be a man. And up until the age of 28, I was so convinced that I was meant to be a man. And I feel if it was more mainstream at the time as it is getting now, I might've done something.
2: Well, I guess, let me ask for your reflection on, there's a version of you that you felt if you had more exposure and it was more normalized, you would have selected a different gender experience. Mm-hmm. Why would that be, have been a negative thing?
0: Uh, Well, first, if I would have done something surgically, I think that would have been a really scary thing for me because I don't, don't, people change their minds in in a lot of times. So to make some scars on my body, I don't know. I just respect the human body and I'm not saying that it's disrespectful in any way, but for me, it just feels like if I'm cutting off something that I
2: was born with, it just doesn't feel very good. But if we don't go to the extreme of surgery and we sat somewhere in the middle of like, you made a conscious decision to change your pronouns or maybe to-
1: change your sexual
2: expression in some capacity.
1: Yeah, like, because being trans isn't about yeah. changing your body.
0: Yeah. So that's something that I'm obviously exploring. But I think, A, it makes it a lot harder for you to be in society. So you're adding a lot of an extra burden for yourself, whereas you can push the boundaries with an agenda of, of being a, you know, one of the two, one of the two genders. Let's just say the typical ones that people associate with. And you can push those boundaries and still you don't get that extra uh, pushback from society that makes it harder for you to exist in society. Because I feel I, I, I I empathize with a lot of pain that you go through every single day by people judging you or saying the the wrong thing to you. And then it hurts you. And I, I think, yeah. And plus labels, I don't care about labels. I just don't like labels. At
2: all,
1: I love labels. Yeah. I love labels too. They I create love community. Labels.
2: They create community, and then it creates simplicity and easy. I always say, like a we know when you go to a grocery store and it says like Fuji apple. Like, is every Fuji Apple different? hundred percent. But if it was like, we can't label the, it's just there. I wouldn't know what the fuck Apple to buy. So yeah. So it, it just helps for fast consumption. But yes, underneath those labels are complexities, it's uniqueness. I love what you said about all of us are our own universes, but that doesn't mean that you can't take advice or guidance or find community with people who have likeness to you. Yeah. You're just never going to be identical. So mm-hmm. I think labels in terms of people looking at it, like I must treat all the same or instead like, oh, my approach to this particular, group or community I have a general understanding because of this word
3: and I feel like there doesn't have to be such stagnancy or even rigidity with labels themselves like labels can change things are constantly in motion and changing and I feel like the more that we embrace those changes and start to reflect them, not only in what is so natural to us in our bodies, in the earth, in the atmosphere, in the climate, but like down to our thought processes, how we talk to people, our ideas, our religions, our spirituality and our understanding. I think it would definitely benefit us like as a species and also as a planet.
0: What is the vision for the future, though? Can I just ask what what, what would you... What is the ultimate vision?
1: I want people to identify however the fuck they want to identify. If they say that they're cis today and then they say that they're non-binary tomorrow and then they're gender anarchist next month. I want people to have that freedom just as as I want people- What is a gender anarchist? Oh, you know, people who just don't believe in gender, who are like, fuck gender, fuck gender as a concept. I mean, this is another word So they wouldn't identify as non-binary. They would just identify as- Perhaps not.
3: Or the paradox of, like, uh, being non-binary and also, like, uh, agender is a type where it's just, like, gender void or, like, not even investing in gender. Like, agender definitely, you know, is something as well. But, like, yeah, a disruption of, I guess, like, conformity... It is what I feel from like gender anarchy or that yeah. word.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, my ideal world is that we can all choose to be who we want to be, that nobody is going to tell us what that needs to look like. And no one's going to, um, you know, check and try to validate it and make like, are you sure you're a woman or are you sure you're non binary? Which is something that comes up a lot for me. Um, just in the same way that I want folks to be able to love whoever they want to love.
0: I believe, yeah, I feel that. There's one thing that I want to bring up. I think this is where a bit of the tension comes in for me is that I do feel judged for not understanding and not quite getting it. It's like, why don't you just get it? Why don't you just say it? And it almost, it's weird because like gender has become so political now that like I am, I don't, I'm not political. I go, I pull whatever feels right for me. I don't have labels. Again, I don't, I just pull on whatever feels right. But I do feel as if If I don't get these certain things, all of a sudden I have to be like, oh, you must be also a Trump supporter. You must be conservative. You must be this. And I'm like, whoa, what happened? Like, I'm just trying to understand. So I do feel like... This weird resistance from people that are that I'm I'm st- I still don't get it, and I still I'm on the journey of like I still don't get it. Am I willing to listen? Yes. Will I have things that I'm going to push back on? Yes. But I'm not I'm not coming from a place of hate. I'm
1: trying to understand,
0: but I do feel yeah. judged.
1: I I feel that, and I think th- I think the judgment that you're getting is from folks who are like, and I and I I felt this too, particularly around race, around you know white people being like. I have yet to really understand or, you know, I'm being judged because I don't understand the whole race thing. Um, And the things that I've, I've said to folks is like, the reason why we're so upset and I can apply this to gender is because folks are dying. Like people are literally dying. Trans women are dying on a daily basis due to this ignorance. So that frustration is not like, oh, you don't know anything. That's so stupid. It's more like your ignorance is killing people. Like your ignorance is perpetuating this violence against folks like me, folks who look like me. Um and that is that's dangerous. That's really dangerous. But why
0: does it become ignorance for me to not understand? Like when I hear I, this one still gets me. It's like people with people vulvas. that people with or people that um what is it pregnant like people that yeah that are, yeah, that, that just
2: like it actually just bugs me because I you know why stop bugging me though imagine like if I make videos about sex right and so if I'm a person who identifies as a man but I didn't do transition surgery and I still have a vulva and I'm trying to find the best vibrator that's it yeah. I'm like I'm trying to get off I'm trying to have a bomb ass orgasm and I got a vulva mm-hmm. but I'm not a woman but I'm like I would click on this video because it's for people who have this particular body part. So that's what I think about it more so. I think what the person who's like needs this, but may not identify with the label there. And then those who identify with that label, they still understand the other title. So what's Mm -hmm. the harm?
0: I think what I've from this, this, what I've realized is that my priorities haven't come to the point where I'm, and I'm putting myself on the line here. I, I don't, I'm not yet willing to go so far to fully understand. I'm I'm respectful. If someone has a specific pronoun, I'm going to use it. I don't have anything against it. I do believe that people want to be free. And I do believe all the things like challenge the status quo, challenge society, but because I'm on my own journey of learning to love being a woman. And so that's why it takes away my energy because I'm really trying to put the effort into understanding being a female woman finally loving this journey where I've rejected it for so long. And I think I'm not ready even to explore different ideas as much yet. So I only know what I know, maybe 20% and I think I'm gonna be okay with that for now.
1: Can I ask something about that? So you mentioned that you're trying to maybe potentially have a baby. What if your child is trans? That's fine. I have no. But what I, what I mean in this realm of like educating yourself mm-hmm. and like feeling like ah, I don't really prioritize that because that's not important to me. Like you could have a trans child, yep. and so I think that it's important to educate yourself in the interest of having a trans. If kid. that if the child comes and it is trans, I will learn. That
0: mm-hmm. is that is where I'm at. So I'm not going to put the. <laughs> I'm not going to put the extra effort yeah. in right now because I
1: only have limited time in my
0: day. Yeah.
1: I'm not in the business of forcing people to know what they want to know or they don't want to know, you know? Like if it's not important to you, then like if my existence isn't important to somebody because I'm trans or black or whatever, like I'm not in the business of convincing people yeah. to care.
3: I love <laughs> I love when people are overt with their ignorance, you know? And just the the... I think when you were talking, it's like a a conversation around efficiency or energy or where you have the energy for, and and I prioritize people who have the energy. And yeah, I think it's very interesting to me. I always like you know pose it because I'm just like, oh, how peculiar! Like if if this affected your bag you know how quickly you would get on board with like learning if your bag and your livelihood and survival like was deeply connected with like you know just like learning certain things like I'm absolutely positive that that you know would really shift how you interact or learn which I mean, life is just funny like that. It's like, well, since you didn't want to talk about it, let's talk about it. And (laughs) you're like, oh my God, like, oh, like it's just life is just funny like that. Again, like if someone asks
0: me to say a certain thing, uh, a label or whatnot, I will do it. it. It doesn't bother me. Yeah still definitely have discomfort around this topic and I'm still trying to, like I I, wanted, I I don't want to pretend that I'm something that I'm not. I'm not going to pretend that I'm inclusive the way that I should be. Um, I'm not having the conversations as much as I should be. And I will admit it. I don't, I don't. And at this point in time, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know where my life path is going to take me. It feels uncomfortable, really uncomfortable in my body. I don't know why still. I don't know why.
3: Yeah, I, I, I'm so thankful you are because I'm also uncomfortable. And all a lot of like the trans, non-binary, gender variant people, it there is a level of discomfort, you know, around like conversations and around the understanding of gender. Like that is a common theme. So to hear you say, like, oh, this is awkward. I'm like, is <laughs> it? it is. Yeah. awkward. So like, we can both sit in the you awkwardness know I mean? together. Like, let's be awkward together because this is awkward. You know, it really is. It really should be until it's not. And how, like, how could it not be? And I really think it's like until everybody is like as open to be like uncomfortable. Like for me, acceptance isn't just like a, a destination. Like acceptance is a action like acceptance is a verb i feel like again with the conversation around change being constant like acceptance should have to, has to be constant
1: yeah i also i also think about um you know in- inclusivity and i just wonder with what energy we can come to this conversation around being more inclusive not from a place of like this is something that i have to do Like, is it possible for you to come to this conversation of being more inclusive because like you see the vast array and the beautiful experiences of being human all around you. And you want to understand and you want to learn and you want to create a safe space. That's the thing that really gets me. And that's why I wanted to put myself on the line because I see too
0: many influencers just jumping on board this. And I don't see really their actions being reflective
1: except for maybe they have the pronouns in their bio now. Mm -hmm. I I appreciate it when folks are very transparent and very like, yeah, this is a journey. Because again, like what I said, like these are really, really big. Big old archaic, dusty and crusty structures Cresting. that we are trying to <laughs> dismantle. It's not gonna. It's it's not gonna take a book.
0: No, you know? and there is no other. Th- th- we still don't have a vision for what's on the other side. Really, like we've never done what that's right. well what we're going towards. Yes. And I think it's scary and uncomfortable, and it's gonna be messy and who knows what it's going to look like. But I do appreciate the fact that like the idea of a woman needing to cook dinner is just ridiculous and women, women have their specific roles. So I like how that's been dissolved through and, and, and all of this. Yeah. That's, so that's, that's been a, an amazing aspect of things. I think it just got to the point for me
2: that it became so uncomfortable because of, yeah. Well, then I guess what it dissolved to the point, which was helpful to you mm-hmm. and you're like, it could stop there. But for someone like Evian, that wasn't enough. And so they required more. So then I guess that's part of the thing of like the empathizing of seeing yourself of like, I get it because the rigidity around the definition of woman didn't fit me. So when that broke open, I felt free. Mm -hmm. And then someone was like, yeah, but the definition of woman made me feel very rigid. Mm -hmm. And we're like, well, we feel good in woman though. So why can't you? It's like, well, we also didn't feel good with the gender roles and the structures there. So I think it's also just, Empathize and that, like, oh, you needed five more steps than me. I was able to stop here and feel comfortable. Your comfort line was a little bit outside of my box.
1: Yeah. yeah. Any any woman, any cis woman on this planet who is rejecting the gender roles of being in the kitchen cooking barefoot and pregnant, like that is a form of shaking up the gender binary. And that's the thing that I think we need to like see in this. It's not just about um, medical transitions, you know, from female to male, male to female. Like there, there's this, there's specific structures of gender that are being shaken that have nothing to do with the body or who we're having sex with it's it's deeper than that yeah shout out to everybody
2: involved evyan whitney who has a book out called sensual self also a podcast by that exact same title go and check both of those things out in addition go to earthtejorty.com Jordy is such a light and brought over a really cool book of potions, which, as you can probably hear from me, I am locked up and I was sick when uh, I saw Jordy. And Jordy pointed me to a page to help boost my immune system because I got a one and a half year old who just started daycare and I definitely need that. Uh, if you also want to bring healing and Joy and nonconformity and badassery into your life. Once again, earthdejordy.com. You can find out several different ways that you can support them and be a part of their work. Last but not least, Sorel Amor, who you will hear on the podcast in the next coming weeks, talking about a very different topic. If you want to get a jump on gains, know more about Sorel, please go and visit her Instagram page, which is at Sorel Amor. And speaking to uh, specifically Sorrel in closing, because I thought was really interesting was Sorrel's bio, because that's kind of like, you know, was. It's fascinating and I'm grateful that Sorrel put herself in this position because it's not an easy position to be in, right? Like to admit that there is a movement happening that you don't necessarily feel very fluid in moving with can be difficult and it can be socially ostracizing and especially as an influencer who makes a living off of people's opinion of you, putting out a non-popular opinion can be very, very risky. So I was very grateful for that decision, but also probably a little confused by it too. Like, well, well, why feel so passionate about it? And when I was reading Sorrell's bio again, in which I'll pull up right now, if I know where that is, Sorrell Moore is an Aussie entrepreneur who focuses on obtaining ultimate levels of freedom in every area of life and is an advocate for alternative and free living. It made a little bit more sense to me. And Sorrell and I talked about this offline after the podcast was done too, in that- it can be very uncomfortable for a lot of us who deem ourselves as being inclusive, as being quote unquote good people or being good social activists to admit to ourselves there are some areas that we don't feel all that activated in. This is a very wordy way of saying that for a lot of us, I don't think it's the actual movement, it is the inability to admit that we don't want to move, that makes us uncomfortable. I'm not sure how many people have listened to this to the, all the way to the end. I know this is a topic that people can feel privileged to opt in and out of. And if you're somebody who has opted in all the way to this point, I highly ask and encourage you to send this to someone else. I don't often say that. You know, at the end of each episode, this is where I get all pressure for you to go and rate review the podcast. That exists. You know that I usually don't tell you to go share it. This is unique. So in this particular case, I'm going to forego my rate and review peer pressure session, which I actually haven't foregone because I've already just told you to do it. But I'm going to forego further discussing that in order to hyper focus on the importance of not preaching to the choir and instead reaching people in the parking lot. And if you are part of the choir, which I'm assuming you are, if you've gotten this far, um, please go and find someone in the parking lot and be like, "Hey, give me a bit of time. Listen to this. It could." really change your perspective in ways that could change, massively change someone's experience here on this planet for the better. And I think that we should all strive for that in any way that we can.
3: Lovers and friends, I'm going to take you on a trip, baby, I don't pretend. I said, lovers and friends, uh, I'm going to hold you down, down to the end. I said, lovers and friends, uh, lovers and friends. And I said, lovers and friends, I'm
2: going to Lovers and Friends is executive produced by Shared Entertainment's Shambudram and Lauren Morrison, also produced by Two West Entertainment and Workhouse Media. The Lovers and Friends theme song is produced by Sean Ross and performed by Jared Brady, who also does the scoring and sound design. Jasmine Henley-Brown is the executive producer at Morsauce and this podcast is powered by Morsauce from Stitcher.